Hi, it's your pal Steamed Hams. Join me every week on the Unforgettable Luncheon as we discuss topics in the nerd world like gaming, comics, cartoons, and whatever else may cross my mind. You can find me on the socials as SteamedHams81 on Twitch, Twitter, and Instagram, and YouTube. You can also find me as the Unforgettable Luncheon on Facebook. And check out Steamed Hams Merchatorium, the link to which will be in the description of this podcast. The Unforgettable Luncheon, nerd comedy at its okayest. In 1972, a crack commando unit was sent to prison by a military court for a crime they didn't commit. These men promptly escaped from a maximum security stockade to the underground, specifically in Los Angeles, so they could justify filming in California. In the 80s, they survived the Soldiers of Fortune. If you need a podcast and you know where to find this one, then maybe we'll discuss the history of the A-Team today on the Unforgettable Luncheon. Hi, it's your pal Steamed Hams. I hope you're ready for an unforgettable luncheon. Ah, the 80s. As normal listeners to this podcast know, and if you listen to my podcast, are you really normal? I like to talk about things from the 80s. Cartoons, video games, and toys. But today, we're going to talk about the TV series The A-Team. You know, the show that made Mr. T a star. This show is interesting, to say the least. Running from 1983 to 1987, it followed, a, it followed former members of a U.S. Army Special Forces unit who were tried and convicted by a military court for a crime they didn't commit during the Vietnam War, which we'll talk about in a minute. They pretty much immediately escaped prison because they're a crack commando unit. You don't think they're going to be held very long? And they moved to the L.A. underground, now working as Soldiers of Fortune, to, well, make money and clear their names. Each week, the team accepts another job to help the downtrodden, while constantly being pursued by civilian and military law enforcement. Let's run down the team, shall we? You got Lieutenant Colonel John Hannibal Smith, played by George Pappard. He's the team's leader, a master of disguise, and a brilliant tactician. Almost always seen smoking a cigar... His catchphrase is, I love it when a plan comes together. Though his plans don't always go according to plan, but they still work. In the beginning, and referenced throughout the series, he's a working actor playing various monsters in low-budget films, specifically taking the monster parts so that his face can be covered and he doesn't get recognized. The A-Team was essentially Papard's last chance in Hollywood at the time, as he was considered box office poisoned by the end of the 70s, and he had a reputation for being difficult uh, that started to precede him going into the 80s. Thankfully, he was able to keep this show going and keep his behavior in check for the five seasons it was on. Uh, George Pappard did die eventually in 1994 from complications due to pneumonia. Next, we have Lieutenant Templeman, Templeton Faceman Peck, played by Dirk Benedict. The team's resident scrounger and con man. That man could get whatever the team needed, no questions asked, using various scams, fake stories, and other little uh, lies. He would often be the one procuring weapons and supplies for the team, especially if they went out of the country. 
you know, sometimes through not so legal means. I mean, how are you going to legally acquire a rocket launcher when you're on the run from the authorities? I mean, how are you going to legally acquire a rocket launcher to begin with? Ah, that's besides the point. You know, it's not like he could just mosey on down to the local venture and get some M16s and a three-pack of M72 Law anti-tank rockets. For those of you wondering who vent or what venture is, ask your parents, kids. But, you know, if he could get all those things, you bet he'd probably have a coupon for it, too. Because he's the man. Face did enjoy the finer things in life, and usually acquired some of these things using various scams that he would eventually use the items or things that he, places he got, and missions. So, there was a method to his madness. Face was played in the pilot Mexican Sleigh Ride by Tim Dunnigan, who you might remember from such roles as Captain Power from Captain Power and the Soldiers of the Future, a previous episode callback. What do you think? He was fired for being too tall and too young. At six foot five, he towered even over even Mr. T, who was 5'10 and supposed to be the muscle. Plus, he even said himself that he was in his sophomore year of high school when the Vietnam War ended. So, either they just miscast, or the Army really lowered its age restrictions during the Vietnam War because they needed people. Hey, kid, you want to join the Army? But I'm 12! That's okay. You want to play Army Man? Okay. Yeah, that would go over well. Moving on. We've got Captain H.M. Howling Mad Murdoch, played by Dwight Schultz, the best damn chopper pilot you could ask for. Though he was their pilot during the mission they were arrested for, he was not actually a member of the A-Team, so he was never arrested. He was, however, confined to a VA psychiatric facility. He's either absolutely batshit crazy or really good at pretending. Probably both, you know, if you look at the events in the pilot episode, where he shaves spots off of his hair to look like he's had uh, electroconvulsive therapy and acts like a raving madman when he's confronted by the military recovery team sent to find the A-team. Uh, his symptoms of insanity vary from episode to episode, depending on what, well, the episode calls for and what the writers can think of. Um, but one thing is for certain, he regularly angered B.A. Baracus with his shenanigans, which always made for some good comic relief. Each week, the A-team found a way to bust him out so they could utilize his piloting skills. He was permanently discharged from the hospital in the final season, as the hospital had just up and closed. Finally, you have Sergeant Bosco, B.A. Baracus. The B.A. could stand for his full name, Bosco Albert, or Bad Attitude, which was him because he liked to punch officers. He was played by Mr. T, the legendary Mr. T. The only enlisted man of the team, he was the team's muscle, mechanic, and general, Mr. Fixit. Known for his mohawk and the 40 pounds of gold jewelry that he wore almost all the time, except when he was in uniform, because he's a good soldier. He just generally stood out in a crowd. There was no disguise in him, I'll tell you what. Everybody else could fit into a disguise, and it's like, Hi, Grandma, where did you get all that gold jewelry? Why don't you shut up? Okay, Grandma. 
Now, the character is essentially just Mr. T using a different name. You know, he was much like Mr. T in real life. Um, the character did not drink alcohol, again, like Mr. T. Uh, and that's why they you see them in the series, well, drinking milk instead. You know, they're going to celebrate a victory well done. Let's have some milk. That was the best way to accommodate him. And they set a good example by not drinking for any kids who might have watched. Um, you know, while he was a tough guy and had a temperament to him and could probably punch the paint off of a car in one shot, um, he had a very soft spot uh, in his heart for children, the elderly, and he cared for his teammates like a family. No matter how much Murdoch annoyed the living fuck out of him, he would always have Murdoch's back. Now, speaking of Murdoch annoying him, B.A. had a massive fear of flying, especially when said aircraft was being piloted by Murdoch himself. Now, he usually had to be sedated to even get on the plane, and if he awoke, he went into a catatonic state if he didn't go into a rage. Uh, and it was actually shown in one episode where he got trapped on a plane while disguised as an aircraft mechanic that uh, the plane took off, and Murdoch tried to snap him out of his catatonic state. Now, it's no secret that George Papard and Mr. T did not get along. Uh, Papard didn't like Mr. T because he was a, quote, proper movie actor, and Mr. T was just the breakout character of the show with no real formal training as an actor. And Mr. T also got paid more, which just irked Papard even more. Now, I usually advise not being a dick to a guy who could fold you in half in the wrong direction, but that's just me. Now, reportedly, they did make amends shortly before Papard's death, so I guess all's well that ends well, you know? I mean, they were at least adults and man enough to do that. You know, things happen with years. You know, you, you kind of, you forgive people. I've done it. You can too. Now, we're going to talk about the crime they got arrested for. They were what was called a Special Operations Detachment Alpha, which is where they got the name the A-Team. And this is a real Special Forces thing. They were ordered by their commanding officer, General Morrison, to rob the Bank of Hanoi to effectively end the Vietnam War. Now, of course, it's the A-Team. The heist was pulled off without a hitch. But upon returning to the base a few days after the war ended, they found it burned to the ground and Morrison dead. So there was no evidence that they were acting under orders, and it just seemed like they went rogue. Now, before you say, well, why did it take them a few days after the war ended to get back? Now... I will say this, military operations are not like you see in the movies where they say, go out there and do the thing, and then 15 minutes later, they're halfway across the world going, we're doing the thing. You know, it takes days. You're, you're, sometimes you're walking. You're, you're just out there walking. You're going to set up camp for a night or two because you're probably going like 50 miles out for all you know. So, hey. That's why it took so long. They didn't exactly have, like, uh, fast travel. This is not Fallout. Now, the one thing that bothered me was, if that heist had ended the war, why would they even be in trouble, whether or not it was a sanctioned mission? You know? It ended the damn Vietnam War. 
they would be like, well, what was your mission? Well, to rob the Bank of Hanoi and end the, the war. Did you do it? Yes. Well, did you steal the money? Yes. And the war ended? Yes. Did you keep the money? No. What'd you do with it? Burned it and roast marshmallows over it? Okay. You're free to go. But that's not how the military works. You know, also, wouldn't there be some manner of, like, redundancy? Like, somebody above them or outside of their chain of command knowing about the mission even though it was covert? I mean, I know that's how the military works. Somebody else is going to know about the mission. And they can pop up and say, hey, yeah, they were acting under orders. I have this communication from their commanding officer saying, I'm sending this team on this mission. But, you know, if they made sense, then we wouldn't have a show. You know, hell, I wouldn't have a million jokes about the nonsensical crap that was bestowed upon myself and my shipmates when I was in the Navy back in the early 2000s. Yes, I'm old. Can't you tell by now? Now, the team was chased by military police, with a few different senior officers leading the chase throughout the series. Uh, It was started by Colonel Lynch, who was the commanding officer of the stockade, or prison, for those of you who don't know military lingo, uh, at Fort Bragg. He felt that the team's escape was a huge tarnish to his record, so he personally wanted to get them back. The thing was, he was the first couple seasons, so his pursuit was usually somewhat comical and almost had a Looney Tunes, Wile E. Coyote-esque feel to it. You know, something slapsticky or comical would end his chase for the episode. Because he would only really appear at like like one point in the episode, chase them, get stopped somehow, and you don't see him the rest of the episode. He was taken off the case in season two due to his, basically his ineptitude, and replaced by Colonel Decker, who was much more ruthless and had a personal vendetta against Hannibal, as back in Vietnam they had a fist fight at an officer's club, and Hannibal won. He both hated and respected the team and Hannibal for their ingenuity and their teamwork. Although replaced in Season 4, he makes an appearance in Season 5 to testify against the team, which we will get to in a second. Now, season 4 brings General Bull Fulbright, who actually does manage to catch the A-team at the end of the, of the fourth season. But instead of turning them in, he hires them to accompany him to Vietnam to find his long-lost daughter. He does manage to locate her, but is killed by a rival Vietnamese officer, being one of the very few on-screen deaths in this show. Now, speaking of that, the show portrayed violence in a very interesting manner. Oh yeah, there was a lot of gunplay, explosions and whatnot, because, well, it is an action show. Uh, But almost nobody was killed or even seriously injured. I mean, there were woundings that happened when the plot needed it, like, you know, oh, B.A. gets shot in the leg and they gotta save him or something, you know? Um, But the bad guys were usually either frightened into retreating or just surrendering, you know? The shots almost never hit their human targets. And if a car crashed in a most spectacular manner, that would make Super Dave Osborne proud. Kids, ask your parents who Super Dave is, or possibly even ask your grandparents. You bet your sweet bibby, everyone will crawl out with nothing more than a few bruises or a good old Peter Griffin knee injury. 
Now, that was supposed to be the Peter Griffin thing. If you heard something different, you're a sick fuck, and I love that you are listening to my podcast. Season 5 began with the A-Team finally being caught, properly tried and convicted, but their executions faked, so they could work for CIA goober General Hunt Stockwell, played by the late Robert Vaughn. Uh, He promised them pardons in exchange for taking on a few suicide missions, basically becoming a non-superpowered suicide squad. Uh, The show went from an action-y cat and mouse of will they be caught, won't they be caught every week, to a variety of Mission Impossible missions uh, to try and counteract failing viewership because it was starting to kind of crap out towards the end. Unfortunately, didn't entirely work. Uh, the team did get their pardons at the end of the series, and it ended in March of 1987. Now, um, in 2010, a feature film adaptation was released, starring Liam Neeson as Hannibal, Bradley Cooper as Face, Charlotte Copley as Murdoch, and Quentin Rampage Jackson as B.A. Baracus complete with a mohawk and pity and fool on his knuckles, which side fact, I pity the fool was never spoken in the a team. It was from Rocky three when he played clubber Lang. Fun fact, Dwight Schultz and Dirk Benedict both made cameos in the film. Uh, Mr. T did not because he said if he wasn't being playing BA, he didn't want to dishonor the character. Now, the film does take place in the waning days of the Iraq War, so they obviously updated it. Uh, the team is sent to retrieve stolen engraving plates that could be used to print billions in unbacked U.S. currency and seriously fuck up our economy and, of course, give terrorists so much money to play with. You know, Of course, their CO is killed and they're framed for the murder of him and the theft of the plates, as this was not an officially sanctioned mission. The team breaks out with the help of C.I. dipshit Lynch, who, trust me, he's an asshole in this movie, um, and they hunt for the real killers and retrieve the plates. Uh, Now, there were obviously more than a few references to the TV series or the actors' various uh, other career moves, such as the credits in a fake movie they were using to break Murdoch out uh, was credited to a character named Reginald Barclay, which you might remember Dwight Schultz playing in Star Trek The Next Generation. Film adaptations will have those little references, little nods and little winks to the uh, to the fans. I caught most of them when I saw it in the theater. But, you know, it took me a few years before I kind of caught all of them because I didn't have as much pop culture knowledge back then as I do now. Okay. Uh, now, unlike the show... The movie explained BA's fear of flying, stemming from their initial mission together in the beginning of the film in the beginning of the film, uh, hunting for a rogue Mexican general. Murdoch pulls a stunt in a helicopter to evade enemy, f- enemy fire, almost resulting in BA falling out of the aircraft, and of course, basically saying, you know what? Fuck this, I'm not flying anymore. I mean, after that, I wouldn't blame him. Now the film was decent enough 
but shitty box office returns prevented a sequel from being made, so we don't get to see the further adventures of the new A-Team. Now, it is available on Hulu. I do highly recommend checking it out. See for yourself. What do you think? My only major complaint in terms of, um, like, an error would be is when they're parachuting a tank out of a plane that got shot down and Face is shooting at the drones that shot them down. He's firing in an actively falling tank, yet all of the shells from the machine gun are falling right at right at his side. And I'm like, but if this thing were firing, the shells would just be flying up and out. But that's me. I'm one of those nerds. Um, so anyways, yes, lastly, let's touch on the A-Team video games. Yes, there were video games, and no, they were not good. Uh, there were only a couple, and they were absolutely shitty. Uh, one was made for the Commodore 64. Involved you shooting at the A-Team's floating heads as they flew back and forth and returned fire. I mean, this game was so bad, they didn't even use the damn A-Team theme. They used the fucking Star Wars theme. I mean, how do you put the A-Team th- in Max figure? Da, 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 da. Instead of your da, 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 da. That's like, somebody fucked up when they were making the games. You know, and plus, why are you shooting at the A-Team? They're the heroes. If anything, you should be playing them. And then the, the, the faces like barely looked like the characters because I, I looked this up on YouTube. And the way they made Mr. T was just terrible. He was a skinny dude with a ton of jewelry on him. That was about it. And I'm like, Mr. T ain't nothing. He's anything but skinny. Uh, there was another one, a Spanish-language ripoff of Operation Wolf entitled El Equipo A. Which was released only in like Mexico, probably Spain. They don't say where, but Spanish language, so who knows? Um, absolutely horrible. Of course, you're avoiding trying to shoot civilians while you're either going after the A team or enemy soldiers or both. I couldn't figure it out. I tried. Uh, Tiger Electronics handheld uh, was made in the 1990s. Tiger Electronics handhelds were the were the most awesome thing ever. Okay. Kids, ask your parents. Maybe I'll do an episode about these in the future. Uh, a mobile game for the iPhone was made in 2010 as a tie-in to the movie. Obviously no longer available, but still. Uh, the games weren't much to talk about, but I had to touch on them. Now, the A-Team was a cultural phenomenon that had a huge impact on the 80s, especially children of the 80s. It made Mr. T a star. I am glad to say that I did experience the A-Team as a child and again as an adult and I pity the fool who didn't well that's it for another unforgettable luncheon I hope a good time was had by all you can find me on the social medias Twitter, Twitch well Twitter is now known as X but X, Twitch Instagram and YouTube as SteamedHams81 and on Facebook as the Unforgettable Luncheon. Hey, don't forget to check out my merchandise store, Steamed Ham's Merchatorium. Link is in the description of this episode. Get you some sweet Unforgettable Luncheon merch. This has been your pal, Steamed Ham's. Join me next week when the topic will be something nerdy.